In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Mary, Queen of all hearts. Saint Louis Marie de Montfort. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways the church has long contemplated and considered and spoken of with regard to Our Lady is by means of a very particular comparison and contrasting. Mary, from a very ancient age, has been referred to as the New Eve. And that is because St. Paul quite clearly refers to Christ as the second or the new Adam. Whereas by the first Adam, death came into the world. By the new Adam, life comes to all of us. And it's only a natural thing that when one speaks of Adam, one quite naturally thinks of Eve. And reflecting upon this, the church very early drew the comparison of just as a woman participated in the bringing of death into the world, so likewise a woman intimately participates in the bringing of salvation, the bringing of life to the world. And then one can go further. Just as a woman who became the mother of all the living, by disobedience dragged her children down into death, so it is that another woman, who likewise becomes the mother of all the truly alive, by her obedience, undoes that and brings her children to life. So as we reflect on this mystery of the Nativity of Our Lady, which we celebrate today, we do well to begin right there with this issue of Our Lady and Eve, but through the specific lens of birth. Because we celebrate a birth today. And at the very beginning, after Adam and Eve had fallen into their own disobedience and sin, the Lord, in speaking to them, says something very important. On the one hand, he turns to Adam, who had been charged with caring for the garden that he had made and all the things within it, and he tells him, Cursed be the ground because of you, where once you could obtain food, without effort, where once your work and your effort would be productive, now it will be fruitless. In fact, even the opposite of fruitless, it will produce from time to time the deadly fruit of thorns and thistles for you. Only by labor now shall you sustain yourself. And then he turns to Eve, and he says to the woman, in pain shall you bring forth children. 
And there's something important here in this statement, because on the one hand, we have the obvious reference to physical labor pains, the travail of giving physical birth. But there's more to it here than, than that. She will become the mother of all the living, but none will come to life through her without pain. And in fact, it is not simply that in pain will she bring forth children. Eve brings forth children into pain as well. The pain of a fallen and wounded world. And you know, now you're looking at me, Father, that's so depressing. <laughs> but it's also true. It is also true. All of us in this sin-fallen world are born in a movement that leads us toward death. We are born into a world marked by sadness, marked by despair, marked by poverty, marked by injustice. We are born into these things. And that's the truth. Yes, there is goodness, but let's be bluntly honest. We are born into something other than goodness. And so in pain will you bring forth your children. And into pain is the implication, will they be born? In fact, the firstborn of Eve is a murderer. Cain, who slays his younger brother Abel. Note, the firstborn son of Eve is a murderer, is one who is not simply born into death, but who brings violent death to others. What is first born of Eve is destruction. What is first born of Eve is jealousy. What is first born of Eve is the child who brings sorrow and grief to the heart of his mother. And as we look at this reality, we see that, again, the pain of Eve, the tragedy of Eve, is not so easily described as through her disobedience, death came into the world. That's true, but let's look at what it means. And the Lord here names the brokenness in her relationship with her husband but specifically names as well this, on the one hand, the great gift of womanhood, the bringing of life into the world, and names it as something that will now be painful. The joy will not be unambiguous for you. It's not that there will be no joy. It's not that there will be no good. It is that good will always be marked by a certain twinning with that which is hurtful. And so we see that we inherit all of the disorder of our hearts. And so what does it mean to be a child of Eve, a son or a daughter of Eve? It means to be born into that world. It means to be born into a world where the outcome is the grave. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. This too, the Lord says to Adam, at the beginning, 
when he falls. It means to be born into a world where brothers raise their hands violently against one another for the flimsiest and most foolish of reasons. It means to be born into a world that is lost and cannot return to the goodness out of which it had fallen. Because in sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, a carabine with a flaming sword is stationed at the gateway to paradise so that they may not come back in. That is what it means to be a son or a daughter of Eve. And while we don't like thinking about these things, and we certainly don't like talking about these things, and culturally, if you speak openly about this, you're accused of being grim and morbid and dwelling on the negative. So let's do that. So let's do that, because it's true. And so note, the issue is not that there is no good in us. The issue is not that there is no good in the world. But the issue is that good is accompanied by a deep, even tragic woundedness. And it does nobody any good at all to pretend that that's not the case. And having said all of that then, and having made it sufficiently dark and grim that we're all a little unsettled, now we come back to the fact that what do we celebrate today? A birth. A birth. A birth of a very different kind. You see, we have to recognize the darkness and we have to name the tragic that has come to us as a result of Eve so that we can see how great a gift it is that we celebrate today. Because we celebrate today the birth of that child, the first child ever born, who is not a source of sorrow for her mother or her father. Note how remarkable that is. Note how remarkable that is. One of the things that we celebrate today is the beginning of the overturning of the wound that was left by Adam and Eve into this family is now born a child and there is nothing of murder in her heart. There is nothing of jealousy in her heart. There is nothing of fearfulness in her heart. There is nothing of dishonesty in her heart. There is nothing of a false and merely apparent goodness about this one. She is unambiguously good and true. Unlike Adam and Eve, who admitted their sin but denied their guilt, yes, I did it, but it's not my fault, the first recorded instance of anybody ever saying, sorry, not sorry, we have one now born for the first time. For the first time since Adam and Eve emerged innocent and sinless from the creative activity of God, for the first time since then, there is one newly alive on earth, newly born, who is innocent. Note how remarkable this is. 
And now as we look at this one, this marvel of innocence, newly born into the world, this marvel of one whose heart and whose life and whose mind and whose attitude is not a source of sorrow to those who gave her life. Now then, what do we see? We see something absolutely wonderful because this one too, the one whose birth we celebrate today, will grow from innocence to womanhood, from innocence to maidenhood. But unlike that original maiden, unlike that original woman, Eve, who as far as we knew came into the world already a woman and didn't have to grow up, and maybe that's part of the problem. You know, this is the danger of pushing our children prematurely in the direction of adulthood before they're ready. You know, Scripture doesn't talk about the childhood of Adam and Eve. And they talk about Adam in that wonderfully childlike way where he names all the animals. But note that Adam is a fully formed man. Eve is a fully formed woman. Here we celebrate a little girl born of a fully formed man, born of a fully formed woman, born of children of Adam and Eve, who despite their imperfection were not fully mastered by the disorder that they had inherited from their parents. And the sinless virgin is the gift to the world through that union. And she will grow to maidenhood. She will grow to womanhood. And growing to maidenhood and growing to womanhood, we see something remarkable. Eve's womanhood is given to her in paradise, where she is surrounded by blessing and nothing less than that. Where does Mary grow into womanhood? In this sin-fallen desert of a world where she is surrounded not by unambiguous blessings at every turn, but by the disorder of the world in which she is being raised. Eve and Adam could stretch out their hands, and everywhere they stretched there was blessing to rest their hand upon. This girl grows up and grows toward maidenhood and womanhood in a world where the things that are nearest to hand are often the most deadly to us. And she loses not her innocence. Note the contrast here. If anybody had an advantage, it was Eve. If anybody had a reason to remain innocent and had all the tools ready, it was Eve. And yet, miraculously, it is this little one. On the one hand, a daughter of Eve, but on the other hand, oh, very different, because in her birth, she begins to heal. To begin to heal that affliction of pain that comes in childbirth simply by being born. How marvelous is this? And she grows to maidenhood, and we see something different. The maiden Eve... We only see her truly listening once in Scripture, and that's to the snake. And again, imagine this. 
In the garden of blessing, you listen to the one voice that wants to kill you. In the garden of abundance, you listen to the one voice that can rob you. In a life marked by friendship with God, you listen to the one voice that will never speak truly to you. Note how remarkable that is. But when we meet this maiden in Scripture, she's listening too. But she hears no serpent. She is listening for heaven, and it is heaven that speaks. And this too then becomes a difference between Mary and Eve. Eve stands at the foot of the tree and is seduced by the serpent. Our Lady, in the place where God has planted her, listens and she hears heaven speaking. The serpent, when he speaks to Eve, questions her, and in doing so, questions God. And Eve gets pulled into a conversation whose very heart is the questioning of heaven, the doubting of heaven. But note Our Lady, heaven speaks to her and it asks no question, but it raises one within her. What does this greeting mean? But note the difference. Eve never stops and asks, why is the serpent even talking to me? Why are we having this question in the first place? What do these words mean? She merely accepts what she hears. We see something different. This one, this maiden, even when heaven speaks, wants to make sure she understands before she responds. Note the depth here. Note the depth because, and this is vitally important, because the word we use today, obedience, is a combination out of Latin of two things. One, to listen. And ob, an intensification, which means intensity. Obedience is listening intently, even intensely. Obedience is never merely compliance. Obedience is never merely doing what you are told. Obedience is hearing and understanding what is asked, and then doing. Note the difference. Eve hears but doesn't listen. And so she complies immediately without questioning to what the serpent places in her mind. It's not even considered. The serpent simply said, if you eat this fruit, everything will be good for you. And what does scripture say? She looked at the tree, saw that the fruit was well-formed and pleasing to the eye and suitable for gaining wisdom. This is the human race, right there in those simple words. We look and we see something that is well-formed and pleasing to the eye, and what do we think? It is suitable for the gaining of wisdom. It is suitable for the fulfilling of my life. 
it is suitable because it looks so good. And we've been falling into that trap ever since. And then there's Mary, who sees nothing and simply listens. What does this mean? And so she lets heaven continue to speak. Until finally, what do we see? In the garden, Eve looks and sees what she wants, and in an act of quite literally naked aggression, she reaches out her hand and takes what is not hers to take. It's not merely disobedience, it's theft. It's aggressive theft. To take the things of God without even asking. It's entitlement. It's there, it's available, it must be mine. Um, note all of these things that happen here, and why? She seeks to put everything at the service of herself. And we turn again to the other maiden, to this one whose birth we celebrate today, because we look to that day where she, in the place where God has placed her, hardly a garden, hardly a garden around her. And we pause for a second and we realize that this listening, this desire to know what it is the Lord wants of her, is the first real indication we see that while there is no garden around her, there is a garden within her, a garden of blessing, full of grace. That is who you are. There is something of paradise within you. If Eden was the place of only blessing, note what we now have on earth, in miniature perhaps, or perhaps only physically in miniature, but even greater, a garden of blessing in this heart a garden of grace in this heart, a garden of goodness in this heart where if one stretches out his hand in whatever direction he wants, there is only the fruit of goodness to be plucked. And so it is that into this garden, the word of the Lord arrives, the call of heaven arrives. And in this garden, which doesn't yet have a tree within it, into this garden, heaven says, I long to plant the tree of life. In man cannot stretch out his hand to the tree of life anymore. But into this garden now, heaven is saying, oh, but I long, I long to plant the tree of life there. I long to do this. This garden is on earth because of the tree that is to come, the tree that wins our salvation. And so note what happens. Heaven speaks and she takes nothing. Rather, she receives. Note the difference. Eve takes this one receives. 
because in its very essence, life is something that must be received. It can never be seized. No one comes into the world by his own choice and his own ability. Life is given. Life has a source, and that source is not me. And so she receives. How wonderful this is. You will conceive. You will bear a son. He will be great. Note the contrast. Satan says to Eve, you will be great. Heaven says to Mary, you will have a son. He's going to be great. And your greatness, note the implication. Your greatness is relative to him. You know, the implication is also if he's great, guess what that's going to say about you? But he's not borrowing your greatness. Your greatness is your relation to him. And on hearing that, on hearing that, that she will name this greatness and she will name him Jesus. But the greatness is his. The greatness is him. And her response, again, is to name herself. And so note, Eve named herself too, or tried to. God knows that as soon as you eat the fruit of that tree, you will become like him. And in doing so, he perverts the very essence of what it is to be in the image of likeness of God, which is to care for the goodness of what God has given, not to seize it for myself. And so Eve names herself as that one who will be like God in her aggressiveness, in her ambition, in her selfishness, in her impatience, in her recklessness. Notice that none of those things are qualities of God. <coughs> On the other hand, this maiden, this maiden positioned by the Lord in a sense, at the foot of another tree, which has not come into the world quite yet, says, behold, in other words, let heaven see who I really am. Note again the contrast. After Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do when they heard God approach? They hid in the bushes. And if you read that account in Genesis carefully, you'll notice they never come out. Everything that is said afterwards involves God in the open and Adam and Eve in the bushes, hiding until they're driven out. Eve hides. Mary says, behold, behold, this is who I really am. I will not hide from you. I will show myself to you in all my truth. And what is her truth? I am not the one who seizes the things of heaven. I am the servant of the Lord. That is who I am. That is what full of grace means. What did that greeting mean? Now Mary tells us what it means. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me, not according to my will, not according to my ambition, not according to my goals, my plans, my desired outcome, 
let it be done to me according to the word that you speak to me. And note how again we have the very essence of obedience. I will act according to the word that I receive. I will act and live according to the word to which I am listening and for which I am listening. What a remarkable contrast. But note here now, it's not simply a matter of neatly saying Eve was disobedient and Mary was obedient. Look at how she overturns the disobedience of Eve. She listens for the right word. She endeavors to understand that right word. And an understanding, she surrenders to it. And in surrendering, knows exactly who she is. Eve, in her self-assertion, became somebody she wasn't at the beginning. She became someone moving to the grave. But note now, this one is not moving in exactly that way. And this maiden, this woman, note this marvelous contrast. The firstborn of Eve is murder. The firstborn of Mary is salvation, Jesus Christ. The firstborn of Eve is Cain. The firstborn of Mary is Christ. Note how marvelous this is. And again, we come to birth. We celebrate today the birth of that one whose own firstborn will come into this world with no pain. Mary suffers no pain in giving birth to Jesus. As the ancient church would even say, as light passes through a window without damaging the window, so too Christ comes into the world through Mary. Truly through her, but without harming her, damaging her, hurting her in any way. Eve brings forth her children in pain and labor, and she brings forth no children without that. And then there is Mary, whose firstborn is not murder, but salvation. Whose firstborn is not Cain, but Jesus. Jesus comes into the world, and he inflicts no pain on his mother on the occasion of his birth. Mary will experience the pangs of childbirth much later, at the foot of the cross, as she helps bring all of us to birth into grace. But we're the children who afflict pain on her. We are the ones who come to life. But again, note, Eve in Eden, as she's expelled, is named Mother of the Living. What an ironic title that is, because she becomes the mother of the living who are moving toward death. Our Lady, at the foot of the cross of her Son, becomes the mother of all the truly living. We, who once destined for death, are now moving toward life. What a marvelous, marvelous contrast. 
And so to risk pushing this a little bit further and ripping off the great St. Augustine for a moment, who in reflecting on these things made a very beautiful observation. Eve is the woman of tears. Eve is the woman of weeping. Eve is the woman of grief. Because her children come into the world and she has not real life to offer them. Her children come into the world and she, they are born into a hardship that she has inflicted on them. Her children come into the world and how they treat one another is grief for her. She is the afflicted mother, but afflicted without hope. She is the afflicted mother, afflicted by her guilt and the guilt that she has engendered in so many. And then there's this maiden, this woman, the virgin mother. Eve comes into the world, a virgin, loses her virginity and brings forth children in pain. And then there's this other, into the world a virgin, as a virgin conceiving, as a virgin giving birth, after birth, still a virgin. Miraculously, wonderfully intact all the way. And as she bears within her the gift of this child, which is not merely God's gift to her, but it's God's gift to the world that she holds in trust. As she bears this child, note all of a sudden, she bears within her womb the entire world's hope for salvation. The salvation that Eve longed to see but never did, she holds within her. She holds within her the healing of all the wrong that came into the world because of Eve. She holds within her the new Adam. And she herself, she herself in a beautifully mysterious way is on some levels the soil of the new creation out of which the new Adam is formed. And in her womb, in her womb, in a more intimate way than even happened in Eden at the beginning, God now walks with man in the incarnation of the, of the word. Fully human, fully divine, united in her womb. God walks with man as he did in the original paradise and yet in a much more wonderful way. And holding all of this within her, as her cousin wants to celebrate her greatness, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed are you who believed what was spoken to you. Note her response. 
she sings. And it is a song of joy that the fallen world will be saved. It is a song that gives voice to that song that from the very beginning, from the moment Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the human heart has longed to be able to say, the moment of forgiveness, the moment of reconciliation, the moment of salvation is here. She now sings with the joy of one who knows that death is no longer the last word on human life. She is the one who sings not just what God has spoken to me personally would be fulfilled, but what God has spoken to me as the one who stands in the place of all creation will be fulfilled. That the one, as the one who sings as that one who hears not just what God says to me, but what God says to me because I am hearing what he says to the house of Israel to which I belong. I am responding because I believe that what God said to me, not just as little Mary of Nazareth, but as that one who as a human, as a daughter of Eve in a certain way, I have heard and believed what God has spoken to Eve. And I know it will be fulfilled because I bear that fullness within me. And so St. Augustine says, it is the singing of Mary that overcomes and heals the tears of Eve. The joyful song of my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That song of the woman pregnant with salvation is the song that heals and overcomes the tears of the woman who brought death into the world and gave birth to murder. That's what we celebrate today. And so it is important that we recognize that we are celebrating a birth. And that means something. Because this is a birth that is different from all others. And as wondrous as this birth is, it has its meaning and its value because of that birth that comes forth later as the fruit. But as St. Louis de Montfort says, Anyone who wants to have the fruit of the tree of life must know where to find the tree. Her name, he says, is Mary. And we celebrate today that tree bursting up from the soil of this world with its promise of bearing that truly rich and life-giving fruit whose name is Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.